Hello and welcome to River City 360 views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Nolan Bicknell. With me as always is my co-host Robert Zirk. On today's show we'll be joined by Rick Frost, the CEO of the Winnipeg Foundation, to talk about Winnipeg's vital signs and the vital signs survey that will be opening to the public starting today. Then we've got another discussion from the vital signs vital conversation that happened a couple weeks ago. Deborah Smith of the Broken Head Ojibwe Nation speaks about the importance of land to the Indigenous identity. Then we'll be joined by Catherine Cardwell, Gift Planning Associate at the Winnipeg Foundation, to learn about Bequest 101, an informative session held by the Foundation for people who are thinking about making a legacy gift to a cause they care about. We'll also speak with Stephen Webb, Stephen Webb of the Canadian Association of Gift Planners, and he's going to tell us all about the CAGP and the importance of planning for your future. And as always, we'll hear from Noah Ehrenberg of Community News Commons, Winnipeg's Citizen Journalism Project. All this, some great music, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Hello, Robert. Welcome to River City 360. How are you doing? Today's our first day on Thursday. Yeah, Pretty it's exciting. a little bit different, but very happy to be in this, to be joining everyone here in CJNU land yeah. on a noon hour, a beautiful noon hour on Thursday today. If this is your first time listening to our show, welcome. Thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, our show is all about good stories here in Winnipeg. We try to tell positive stories about people in Winnipeg and in Manitoba that are doing good work in the city because, you know, when you tune to other stations or TV stations or whatever, you get enough bad news. We're here on our C360. It's all about good stuff. There are so many wonderful initiatives that are happening, um, so many positive stories that we want to share about the things that are going on in Winnipeg. So we're very happy to be here, very happy to have the opportunity to share that with you. And uh, so welcome to everyone joining us on Thursday. Uh, uh, hello to everyone who are still checking us out on Saturday morning at 8 a.m. We're still in that time slot as a rebroadcast, but if you want the latest RC360 episodes, Thursdays at noon right here on 93.7 CJNU is your destination. We've got a huge show this week. There's a lot of stuff to get to, uh, so let's just get right into it. We always start things off with a song, so... Today's no different. Just because it's Thursday, here's Dick Hames with Maybe It's Because, right here on River City 360. Maybe it's because the kiss you gave me touched my heart and went right through. I can't tell you why I only know that I Fell helplessly in love with you Maybe it's because The song we danced to Told a story old and new I can't figure out Just why it came about or how I fell in love with you I could say you're grand and therefore I care for you so 
town Made a certain wish come true Or it just could be That you were meant for me And maybe I was meant for you Maybe I could say a grand And therefore Therefore I care for you so But there is a why And wherefore And I'd like to know just could be that you were meant for me and maybe I was meant for you Throughout the next year on River City 360, we'll be bringing you stories connected to the themes of Winnipeg's Vital Signs 2017, a program led by the Winnipeg Foundation that measures the vitality of our community through research and surveys. For more information, visit wpgfdn.org slash vital signs. Thank you for listening to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I am now joined by Rick Frost. He is the CEO of the Winnipeg Foundation. Rick, thank you so much for joining me today. Great to be here, Robert. So we brought you here to chat about the Winnipeg Foundation's Vital Signs Project, and we've been covering it a little bit on River City 360, but for those who maybe aren't familiar with Winnipeg's Vital Signs and what it intends to do, could you tell our listeners a little bit about the program? Absolutely. Uh, The Winnipeg Foundation has a strategic plan, like most organizations, and um, in developing that plan, which is looking ahead now to 2021, as we look for the next three or four years, we are doing a checkup in the community to find out, you know, what are the key issues um, that face Winnipeg? We obviously have our perception, but we want to have public input uh, and obviously some research in addition to that on what the key issues facing the city are and how the Winnipeg Foundation should respond. Okay, so it's research and input from the community, and that is combined to create sort of an idea of what the Winnipeg Foundation should do in terms of responding to the needs of our community, right? Absolutely, that's that's the idea. Uh, one of the challenges for the Winnipeg Foundation is that we're calling for proposals and grant applications from organizations. Last year, we were in 900 different organizations with grants. And so one of our challenges is trying to be all things to all people. And, and, you, and you've, you eventually reach this point where you've got to set some priorities, set areas of focus, and that sort of thing. And the foundation is, I think, um, as we're going into the next planning phase, asking ourselves, are there areas that we want to make sure are getting at- appropriate attention and, and priorities? Are there gaps that we've missed and that sort of thing? 
so the public get a chance to tell us, the researchers get a chance to, to provide some input, and ultimately a strategic plan will be written and, and um, approved by our board next year, which will say this is what the foundation is going to do. So it's really important that we get that feedback, and we hope people will uh, pay attention to what's happening on the Vital Signs Project. Going in a little bit further in terms of the community input portion of Vital Signs, what are some of the ways that the foundation has reached out to the public to gather community input thus far? Okay, well, we've had some, first of all, had some community conversations. We had a, we had a major event at the University of uh, Winnipeg on mental health. We had a gathering of about 250 people um, on the subject of um, the, the bridging the divide with the Indigenous and non-Indigenous community it was a really good one-day event. Lots of feedback there. Um, we are launching a major survey, which I'm sure you'll be talking about in different episodes here, seeking public input. Um, we're doing a telephone survey in addition to that. And then we have got some highly targeted surveys um, that we're doing on particular topics like belonging and, and, and um, downtown vitality and, and that sort of thing. So we are coming at this from several different angles, um, but the way I think the public would generally be uh, interested in participating is the broad survey that uh, is going online. If I can speak about that just briefly, um, the, the online survey is going up um, today uh, and uh, should be available for the next month for people to come to our website and answer the questions. It takes about 10 minutes to go through a broad range of questions about what matters to Winnipeggers. Okay. It sort of covers a lot of the areas that the foundation also covers in terms of its granting, right? Yeah, the, the survey is going to cover everything from human rights to arts and culture to sort of health and well-being, the environment, philanthropic climate in the city, uh, a wide range of, of, um, of, of topics and asking the public, you know, where the priorities lie, if there's gaps and that sort of thing. We're going to try to identify those. And again, all with the intention of informing the priorities that the foundation should uh, focus on over the course of the next uh, few years. So after the results of the survey, after people fill out the surveys and the results are received, describe what happens next. Will the results be available publicly for people to check out, or is it just sort of a tool for the foundation to use? No, it'll be quite public. Um, there will be a, a report produced at the beginning of October. I'm, we're thinking right now about the 5th of October, I think, is the target date um, when there will be a release of the Vital Signs report. Um, and following that, um, there'll be obviously an opportunity for reaction. People will be able to obviously read it and, and give us feedback about what they're reading in, in the report. And then following that, there will be a foundation response for sure. The foundation will, will announce um, how it's going to react to vital signs itself. And you'll see that in the course of a couple of different things. It'll probably be part of our strategic plan, which will be a public document as well. Excellent. So it gives people an opportunity to see what Winnipeg's doing really well right now and also what are some of the things that we can work on to improve. And then also gives the foundation that information in terms of what some of the priorities are to improve those areas in our community that need a little bit more attention. Yeah, the foundation prides itself on being a 360-degree grant maker, which means we're in all parts of the community. And as I mentioned earlier, we're in 900 different organizations with grants. So 
we're really everywhere in terms of supporting the community, but there are issues that I think need focus. Uh, you might remember in our last strategic plan, for example, we put a lot of emphasis on food for kids, um, the nourishing potential. Well, kids generally, actually, nourishing potential, growing active kids, uh, the You Can Do It Awards, very ready. There were a whole range of very targeted projects that we were undertaking as part of the last strategic plan. And so what we're really talking about now is what's the next one going to look like? So if people are interested and want to share their thoughts on on our community and take part in the Vital Signs Survey, how can they go about doing that? Well, I think the most important thing to do, of course, is always go to the website today. That's where you go for most of the information, right? And the Winnipeg Foundation's website at wpgfdn.org. There's a section on there which would be wpgfdn.org slash vital signs would be the place you would go to get a copy of that survey. It's all done online because we're obviously compiling these results uh, through uh, automatic means, um, looking for um, the responses to these questions that uh, we really encourage people from every walk of life in the city to, to give us your thoughts on, on, uh, on what you think the foundation should be emphasizing in, in the period up to 2021. Wonderful. So as Rick said, be sure to visit the Winnipeg Foundation's website at wpgfdn.org and take the Vital Signs Survey. You said it takes about only about 10 minutes to do. About 10 minutes, that's right. Not a huge time commitment, but really important to get your input and gather a lot of information about our community so that we can help make it the best that it can be. Rick, I want to thank you again for joining us today on River City 360. Great to be here, Robert. Stay tuned to River City 360 throughout the year for more stories connected to Winnipeg's Vital Signs 2017, a program led by the Winnipeg Foundation that measures the vitality of our community through research and surveys. For more information about Vital Signs, visit wpgfdn.org slash vital signs. Thanks, Robert. And thanks again to Rick Frost, CEO of the Winnipeg Foundation, friend of the show. And how many times has he been on the show now? Half a dozen, maybe, at least. I think he has the record. That's great. Well, thank you very much for your time, sir. We always appreciate it. And it's always a great conversation here on RC360. Coming up after the next musical break, we're going to hear from senior producer here at RC360, Shailen McMahon. She spoke with Deborah Smith of Brokenhead Ojibwe Nation about their Vital Conversations discussion circle a couple weeks ago about the meaning of land for Indigenous people. But first, here's K-Star with Should I on River City 360. Should I reveal exactly
Thank you for listening to River City 360. Robert and Nolan here with you this morning, and we are now joined by our senior producer, Shaylin McMahon. Shaylin, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. So we've been talking about vital signs and specifically the vital conversation that happened a few weeks ago. It was focused on strengthening relations between Indigenous and non-Indigenous citizens of our city. Um, There was a keynote speech by Kevin Lamaru, and then people participated in discussion circles Um, which were facilitated and had different themes from reconciliation, uh, indigenous spiritualities, intergenerational trauma, were some of the themes that were a part of the discussion circles. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about your experience at The Vital Conversation. Yeah, it was it was definitely a powerful day and a great opportunity to learn more about reconciliation and what that means for people in our city. The the theme for one of the circles that I participated in was the meaning of land for Indigenous people. And we talked about how land is often part of Indigenous identity because of the relationship that many Indigenous communities have with the land. And we also talked about how colonization has affected that identity and relationship. When the discussion was over, I sat down with another participant of the circle, Deborah Smith, who is from Broken Head Ojibwe Nation, and she was telling me that not too long ago, she actually approached a group of elders in Broken Head, and she wanted to learn more about the relationship that people in Broken Head had had with the land. They had talked about, you know, harvesting activities such as trapping, because we're like right um, in a marshland, and so there's a lot of harvesting of, you know, muskrats and beavers and, and things like that, and um, they talked about different activities such as snaring and you know going out onto the lake and fishing. So we had a, a really good relationship with the land to provide us with the food that we needed that would sustain us and keep us healthy. And the relationship that Indigenous communities have with the land is not just through the land providing food, but there's a lot more to it, right? Yeah, exactly. Deborah also told me about growing up in a harvesting family and how her family's relationship with the land, specifically with the lake, was much deeper than just gathering food. The water provided me food, but also provided my dad like um, employment and a way to be able to provide for us. But I think that um, as I grew up, I began to understand that it wasn't just my dad going out and setting nets. It was that my dad had a spiritual connection to the lake. And that when he was out on his, on his boat lifting his nets that, and harvesting this fish, that he was actually out there offering tobacco and giving thanks to, you know, the water for providing, you know, that fish that we, he was harvesting. But he also... I think had time to think and reflect about you know other things and I think that that's a part of mental health and mental well-being spiritual well-being and it it's a lot more than just the act of going and harvesting so it was a, a relationship on so many different levels and Deborah also asked the elders in her community when and why many people in the community stopped harvesting and hunting they had shared with me two really important um, factors that uh, came into our community. Um, At that time, there was the introduction of welfare or social assistance into our communities. And so people felt that they now had money to be able to go and buy their food rather than having, you know, to go and and hunt and and trap. But also uh, the um, road or Highway 59 
going through Broken Head. Uh, now people had access because at one time we traveled by train and um, you know a lot of people didn't leave and um, so now we had cars and we could go and drive to the nearest town and buy our groceries. So how has this change of relationship with the land affected the community now? There's many ways but the first one Deborah mentioned was about the health of people in the community. One of the things that we realized is that it's important that we go back into um, having those relationships with knowing where our food sources are and reintegrating those foods back into our our food, uh, our diets, and making sure that we look at some long-term solutions to the chronic health issues that we have in our communities. And one being in particular diabetes and the impact that that's had um, in our communities. And what's another way that the community's been affected? A lot of the younger generations in the community never grew up learning about this relationship with the land. So Deborah said another big issue is teaching their younger community members about the importance of the land and having a relationship with it. But we also have to start reconnecting our young people to that knowledge of, you know, where do we access our food? Where can we get medicines that will help heal us? And so for me, those relationships of you know, being connected back to Mother Earth because Mother Earth is our mother. She provided us life and she also is, you know, a healer and she can help us heal. And if we lose that knowledge, you know, between who we are as a people and our connection to the land, then I think we are, we're going to be in trouble. So <laughs> there's a lot of work and I, I have hope that, you know, we're you know, able to take the knowledge that we still have and preserve it. So it really shows the depth of the impact that it's had hearing about the specific ways that colonialism has affected this relationship with the land. In terms of reconciliation, how does Deborah see Canada moving toward reconciliation? She says it begins with an acknowledgement. And along with acknowledgement and respect between Indigenous and non-Indigenous communities, Deborah also says that Indigenous communities need to move toward reconciliation amongst themselves as well. Reconciliation, for me, on a personal level, is being able to reconcile within our communities because we lived that colonial experience. We had, you know, brought home things from the residential schools that, um, you know, that I think came out in terms of us, you know, being disconnected from our grandparents and our parents and those teachings that we had, you know, had abuses in our communities. And I think that, you know, in our communities, we have to have those conversations as well about reconciliation. And then I think we're, we would be better poised to have a conversation with non-Indigenous people. Well, that definitely shows the importance of moving toward reconciliation for so many reasons. Yeah, if there's one thing that I learned that day, it's that there are so many aspects of Indigenous people's lives that were affected and are still being affected by colonialism. Thank you very much, Shaylin. And if you'd like to learn more about the vital conversation called Bridging Divides, Shaping Futures, you can visit the Winnipeg's Vital Signs website at wpgfdn.org forward slash vital signs. Thanks again, Shaylin McMahon, our senior producer for the story. Thanks, Robert, and thanks again, Shaylin. 
As we mentioned, to learn more about the Winnipeg Foundation's Vital Signs or the upcoming Vital Conversation, the third of three, you can visit wpgfdn.org slash vital signs. Coming up after the break, we're going to be joined by Catherine Cardwell. She's from the Winnipeg Foundation. She's going to be discussing the Foundation's upcoming Bequest 101 sessions, uh, so you can hear all about that. But first, here's Freddie and the Dreamers with I'm Telling You Now, right here on RC360. I'm telling you now, I'm telling you right away, I'll be saying for many a day, I'm in love with you now. I'm telling you now, I'll show you what you want to hear, I'll be telling you for many a year, I'm in love with you now, do you think I'm fooling when I say I love you, I love you, maybe you'll believe me when I'm finally through, 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 I'm telling you now. It's been said before Say you love me and I will be sure I'm in love with you now Thank you for listening to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you, and I am now joined by Catherine Cardwell. She is the gift planning associate at the Winnipeg Foundation. Catherine, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Robert. So first of all, the foundation has a series of workshops called Bequest 101 that are coming up. The first one actually takes place Friday, May 5th at 9.30 a.m., How do you help people who approach the foundation? A lot of people want to give back to the community. How do you help them plan to leave a legacy in the community? Well, there's actually a very old saying by Aristotle that says to decide to give money is an easy matter, but to decide how much and for what purpose is a much more difficult matter for anyone to make. And I've paraphrased it a little bit, but he really does hit it on the head. So the donors who are making legacy gifts are really doing the hard work because they need to start by thinking what are the causes they care about the most and how can they support them uh, for good forever. So where we come in is we're almost the Home Depot of charities. You know, you can do it, we can help. So we're gonna start by asking people what's important to them. Are there specific charities they want to support? Are there broader causes that are close to their hearts? And then we'll tell them how they can make it happen through the fun types and structures at the Winnipeg Foundation. That's great. So I'm sure that a lot of people who 
have this idea that they want to give back and coming to the foundation where there's so many options available that they probably have a lot of questions in terms of what sort of options are there for them. What kind of questions are some of the most frequently asked and how would you answer those? The questions that people ask are all very different, but it all comes down to what they want to do. And quite often we're going to end up flipping the questions back to people because It really depends on the type of gift that they want to set up. If they want to support a broad scale cause, we're going to talk to them about their options for setting up, you know, a field of interest fund or a community building fund that supports a wide range of programs and projects in that area. They might have specific charities that they already know about or have a relationship with, and they want to make sure that they can support them in perpetuity. For some people, they may decide that they'd like to start their legacy now and augment it with a gift in their will, and they might want to do a donor-advised fund so they can have a hand in recommending grants to charities of their choice. So really, once again, the questions are varied. As far for the technical questions, sometimes people have questions about tax or um, finances. Some of those we can provide some general information for, but usually we would advise people to talk to their own lawyer or financial planner or other professional advisor. Excellent. And so a good starting point for people who are thinking about making a legacy gift to a cause that they really care about would be Bequest 101. Tell us a little bit about these sessions. What is Bequest 101 all about? So Bequest 101 are informal, uh, intimate sessions where you gather with like-minded people and we walk you through the steps of setting up a charitable bequest. We do include some of that technical information, but just enough to arm you to go talk to your own lawyer or advisors about it. Mostly we talk about your motivations and how you can channel them into setting up something in your estate for the good of our community in the future. So the sessions are free and open to the general public, but who in particular should attend these sessions? Anyone who's interested in learning more about charitable bequests is welcome to join us. We've had professional advisors in the past, such as lawyers or financial planners come in. Most of the people coming in are everyday people like me, and they just have some questions and are hoping we have the answers. I like to think that we normally have at least some answers for them and can give them some more information. They're about two hours long and they're very informal. There's food, we'll cover parking if you park in the Richardson Parkade. And they're really a good time to have a conversation. There's absolutely no obligation and they're a lot of fun for us as well as for you. One thing that's really a privilege for us is working with individuals and being part of what they want to accomplish and helping them make these things come into action. And it's just such a joy to learn about people and to see the things that they would like to put into place for the future. One thing that never fails to amaze me is that the foundation really was built on legacy gifts. So many of the grants that we're making today are only possible because of the people who decades ago set aside something in their will for their community. So, you know, tens and tens of years later, that gift is not only still there, it's giving back every year and it's also growing in size. So there were people who were thinking about our good before we were even born. So Bequest 101 is being held at the Winnipeg Foundation 
Foundation office. It's at 1351 Lombard Place in the Richardson Building, the 13th floor. And it's being held Friday, May 5th at 9.30 in the morning. There's also an evening slot Wednesday, May 10th at 7 p.m. and in the afternoon as well on Thursday, May 11th at 1.30. If people are interested in the session, so they're free for people to attend, but the Foundation just asks that people register, or if they'd like to get more information, how can people get more info or register for Bequest 101? If you'd like more information, I'd invite you to contact Jamie Kyle. She is the Legacy Services Coordinator at the Winnipeg Foundation. Jamie can be reached at 204-944-9474, or you can email her at jkyle at wpgfdn.org. Perfect. Thank you again so much, Catherine, for joining me today. You're very welcome. Thank you, Robert. Thanks, Robert, and thank you to Catherine. Coming up next, our conversation with Stephen Webb and Pat Lilly, Chair and Vice Chair of the Canadian Association of Gift Planners, respectively. We're going to talk about what makes Winnipeg and Manitoba such a special place when it comes to giving. But first, here's Ricky Nelson with Garden Party, right here on River City 360. I went to a garden party to reminisce with my old friend. Chance to share old memories and play our songs again. When I got to the garden party, they all knew my name. No one recognized me. I didn't look the same, but it's all right now. I learned my lesson well. You see, you can't please everyone, so you got to please yourself. People came from miles around, everyone was there. Yoko brought a walrus, there was magic in the air. And over in the corner, much to my surprise, Mr. Hughes hid in Dylan's shoes, wearing his disguise. But it's all right now, I learned my lesson well. You see, you can't please everyone. Door and out stepped Johnny, be good. 
Playing guitar like a ring and a bell And looking like you should You gotta play at garden parties I wish you a lot of luck But if memories were all I sang I'd rather drive a truck But it's all right now I learned my lesson well You see, you can't please everyone So you got to please yourself la da da Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan Bicknell with you this morning, and we're now joined in studio by a very special guest. We've got Stephen Webb, Independent Financial Advisor and Chair of the Canadian Association of Gift Planners, and the Vice Chair, Pat Lilly, also of the Winnipeg Foundation. Pat, Stephen, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having us. So, my first question for our listeners who haven't heard of the uh, Canadian Association of Gift Planners, or the CAGP, um, what exactly is that, and what, what's your role here in, in Winnipeg and Manitoba? Well, Nolan, the uh, CAGP stands for the Canadian Association of Gift Planners, and CAGP Manitoba is the province's premier organization for fundraisers and professional advisors, that being lawyers, financial advisors, and accountants, to network, share ideas, and develop their knowledge on current issues in gift planning. So when you say gift planning, what does that mean? It's people when they are planning their estate for in wills and, and, and letters of wishes, or what exactly is the sort of gift planning world entail? Well, I guess it, it uh, mostly refers to people that are considering uh, philanthropy uh, as part of their estate planning um, and um, how... Manitoba is known to be such a generous province and um, as part of um, the charitable world um, I can tell you that those gifts are very much appreciated and um, so when people are thinking about that uh, the CAGP Canadian Association of Gift Planners is there to help uh, facilitate those plans. Perfect. And why would someone want to, I mean, I kind of know the answer to this, they want to leave a legacy, but I mean, why, what are some of the reasons that people want to choose certain organizations to leave their legacy for? What do they come to you and say? Well, Nolan, many people are um, having trouble finding uh, a decision as to how to articulate their gift plans. Sometimes they aren't quite aware of what organizations may represent the interests that they have and uh, furthermore sometimes they are not able to come up with a gift plan which would be as effective so at CAGP one of the things that we strive to have is what we refer to as strategic gift planning which means that uh, 
fundraisers, whether they're acting alongside a professional advisor, are able to come up with a more um, a, a way in which the uh, donor might uh, be able to either give more or give a more effective gift by using current tax legislation. Okay, so it just kind of helps them work through the various uh, red tape and all the different kind of forms they have to fill out and things they have to sign. Absolutely. It can be very confusing at for times. For sure. And I guess that just makes it a lot easier for people to not worry about those things and they can focus on the legacy that they want to leave. Correct. And everybody wants to give, but at the same time, everybody understands that uh, they have concerns about what they might need in their own lifetime as well. Um, and when they go through a gift plan and understand that they will be okay, they have enough resources to take care of themselves and the people they care about, then they have a, another question as to how to distribute some other access assets that they might be able to do something good with. So for people listening out there, um, how can they get more information about the Leave a Legacy program or about CAGP? Well, if anybody wants to learn more about giving or, or get in contact with our organization, they can feel free to contact me at my office. Uh, once again, Stephen Webb, I'm the chairman of the CAGP Manitoba. Our office number is area code 204-272-9670. Or they can email me at Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, at cagpmb.ca. Perfect. Well, thank you very much, Stephen Webb and, and Pat Lilly of the Winnipeg Foundation and of CAGP. Thank you very much for talking to us today. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks, Nolan. And if you're interested, the upcoming CAGP National Conference will be hosted in Winnipeg in April 2018, where four to 500 delegates from across Canada will all gather and talk about strategic philanthropy. So if you're interested in inquiring about information about membership to CAGP, again, you can call Stephen Webb at 204-272-9670 or email Stephen at cagpmb.ca. Coming up after the break, Noah Ehrenberg is on his way into the studio to tell us all about the latest stories at Community News Commons. But first, isn't this a lovely day? Paul Weston asks the question through song right here on River City 360.
Thank you for listening to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I am now joined by Noah Ehrenberg. He is the convener of Community News Commons, Winnipeg Citizen Journalism website. Noah, thank you so much for joining me. Great to be here. So every week uh, we have you on to discuss the latest stories written by citizen journalists. What's new at CNC this week? Well, this week on communitynewscommons.org, I really like the story by Heather Emberley, uh, who basically talks about Canada's 150th anniversary and a few other anniversaries, like the 65th anniversary of the Retired Women Teachers Association of Manitoba, the 120th anniversary of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Winnipeg, and the 25th anniversary of a very incredible achievement by one of Manitoba's finest teachers. So what do all those things have in common? Well, what they have in common is a woman by the name of June Gislason. And June, who passed away in 2014, uh, was a, an amazing woman. Um, she was a terrific teacher. And upon her retirement, she started a Winnipeg Harvest Depot to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the Unitarian Church in Winnipeg. And so this was really the first beginnings of food banks in Winnipeg. And um, it was June's commitment to social justice that sort of led her to this. And um, it was, a, a, you know, it was her philosophy in life is that we're all in this together. And so once uh, she started that, um, that whole idea of a food bank called to her and uh, she decided to uh, talk to David Northcott, and as they say, the rest is history, and the Winnipeg Harvest was born. So this is a terrific little story by Heather Amberley, who had the opportunity to speak to June before she passed away in 2014 uh, over at Misericordia Place, and uh, it's a really nice story by, um, by Heather Amberley, um, and in it, it's very interesting in that uh, June sort of reminds us in what she had um, uh, said to uh, Heather, she said, a food bank can happen to anyone who, uh, with two missed paychecks. And so it really gives you the idea that, you know, food bank um, isn't just for, um, you know, the most desperate in our uh, community. It really is for, um, you know, for a lot of people who uh, are, are not that far away from having to use a food bank. So that's how Winnipeg Harvest started. I didn't know that. And Heather um, educated me about that with her great story called Stepping Up to the Plate, a story about June Gislison. Very interesting, mm-hmm. and interesting to get that perspective on the formation of uh, of one of Winnipeg's most well known charitable organizations. That's for sure. And I understand there's also uh, there's also a story from a new writer that you wanted to talk about today here on the update. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, the new writer uh, is um, is a woman by the name of uh, Tatenda Gurur, and um, uh, she's a journalism student, and uh, she's written a couple pieces. But the the uh, the article that she wrote um, just this past week, called "My Ethnicity Is Not Who I Am," is a story that she wrote about a young woman by the name of Nadine Justina Friedland. And um, uh, Nadine came from Churchill, Manitoba. That's where she was born, uh, and she is part Inuit and part uh, Swedish-Dutch Mennonite. And uh, up in uh, Churchill, that really wasn't an issue because there's a lot of Inuit people, there's a lot of white people. But when she came down here to Winnipeg, it was kind of an issue because she said, you know, she came here and she became really aware of people looking at her and looking at the fact that she was uh, part Inuit. And uh, people would ask her, what are you? It became an issue. And so uh, Tatenda Guru writes about Nadine's experience about her ethnicity and how she came to terms with how to deal with it here in Winnipeg. And um, Nadine's gone on to become the female vice president of the Aboriginal Students Association uh, at the University of Manitoba. And in that role, um, she says that a lot of discrimination uh, from, um, you know, towards First uh, Nations people uh, really comes from a lack of awareness. So in the role as uh, president of the Aboriginal Students Association, she 
uh, really wants to try and make a difference in educating and bringing understanding of Indigenous affairs uh, to the whole student population. So it's a really interesting article uh, to see the struggles that uh, someone might go through uh, coming from a different community, especially northern Manitoba. And um, I would encourage our listeners to uh, check it out. It's called My Ethnicity Is Not Who I Am. And uh, it's a really good read by Tatenda Gurur on communitynewscommons.org. All right. And... Every week we ask for you to bring in a local song or a song by a local artist. What do you have for us this week? Well, I have a music legend. He's uh, been around for a while, and he has released, uh, I believe, a dozen albums, perhaps a few more than that. Uh, he's had 10 Juno nominations, uh, three of those wins, um, and he's been honored with the Order of Canada, the Order of Manitoba. He um, was in the homes and hearts of many, many Canadians with uh, the CBC series called Fred Penner's Place. And of course, I'm talking about the one and only Fred Penner. He has a new album, uh, the release of his new album called Hear the Music. Uh, and uh, it's a really exciting time for Fred and for all the Fred heads out there. They're not just kids, but, uh, you know, adults like me. And uh, the great thing about this uh, about this album is that it has some collaborations with Ron Sexsmith, Alex Cuba, Basha Bulat, uh, The Good Lovelies, Tara Lightfoot. It really is quite a mix of people that have come together with Fred for this new album. And you can catch Fred Penner at the Centennial Concert Hall on May the 7th, where he's going to bring his magic um, to the stage with the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra. So I'd like to feature this uh, tune from his album, Hear the Music. This, the song is called La Vida, and it features Alex Cuba and Basha Bulat, and um, it's right here for you on River City 360 with Robert Zirk and Nolan Bicknell on 93.7 CJNU. Quiero cantar sobre la vida La vida es familia, la vida es los amigos La vida es crecer fuerte y feliz Quiero cantar sobre la vida Buenos días, la vida es buena comida, la vida es gracias por todo, gracias. Quiero cantar sobre la vida, quiero cantar sobre la vida. Quiero cantar 
Listening to River City 360, Robert and Nolan here with you today, and we have time for one last song before we go. Here's Kate Smith with People Will Say We're in Love, right here on River City 360. Don't throw bouquets at me. That's just about a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360, our very first here, Thursdays at noon here on CJNU. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you to everyone who continue to listen on Saturdays at 8 a.m., our rebroadcast time. And thank you to everyone listening to the podcast as well at rivercity360.org. If you'd like to hear more views and news from around Winnipeg, listen to any of our past episodes, or if you'd like to subscribe to our podcast, you can do so on our website. Visit us at rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with CJNU 93.7 FM. And we would love to hear your feedback. Uh, Our number is 204-944-9474, extension 360. You can leave us a comment about the show, request a song, or suggest a topic for a future show. Give us a call again, the number is 204-944-9474, extension 360. We're also on Twitter and Facebook. You can search at RiverCity360 on Twitter and RiverCity360 on Facebook as well. I'm Nolan Bicknell signing off for River City 360. And I'm Robert Zirk. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until next time. Give me my rose and my glory.